Yes, we are now recording. Um, this is Eleanor Mann. Today's date is July 20th, 2023. And this is our uh, Godly Wife and Mother Bible Study. Today we are talking about Titus chapter 2, verse 3, teaching what is good. Um, and so we will continue on with our lesson. Okay. Um, so last week, um, I was spending time with my two of my granddaughters. I have five granddaughters, and two of them were in town uh, staying at my middle daughter's house. And it was really fun to get to see them. So I appreciate you all understanding. Uh, last week I was being a grandma. They call me Mima. So last week I was being Mima, and we did lots of had lots of fun together. Uh, they are nine and almost twelve. So I also have a um, a, a granddaughter who is fourteen, and then I have one who is uh, fifteen, and one who is another one who is almost twelve. So they're all growing up, but they are a lot of fun. So these two girls were here, Rebecca, and uh, the youngest is named Eleanor after me. We call her Ella. So this last week, I was having fun with them. But today, we are going to go back to our lesson in Titus 2, verse 3, where we are talking about um, women in the church. And let me find my passage. Okay. We've talked about um, that we need to be reverent in our behavior. Uh, we need to be reverent in our behavior, not malicious gossips. Um, somebody has a bunch of background noise. I appreciate. I. I wish we could do it without the background noise, but I mean with the background noise, but I'm afraid that's a little hard. So I appreciate you guys being sensitive. I didn't That's okay. You are welcome to um, mute if you need to or unmute. Okay. You guys just uh, can figure out what's best for you in that. Okay. So we've talked about all sorts of different areas. We're still on the passage that's talking about older women, but um, these are qualities that God wants to develop in all women's lives. And then as you reach a point in your life where you can, uh, you can be able to um, uh, help other women, these are qualities that God will have developed in you that you can impart to them. So the last thing we're talking about today is teaching what is good. The last time we got together, um, there are really two aspects to the whole idea of teaching what is good. The first one that we talked about last week was teaching right from wrong. Uh, in the amplified version of Titus 2 and 3, it talks about teaching what is right and good. So um, it's important that we know ourselves and then teach our own children right from wrong. And we talked about this last week. 
We talked about the importance of realizing that sin is defined by the Bible, not by society. And so it's important for us to recognize what sin is, to be able to deal with it in our own lives, and then to be able to help our children to deal with sin. That there is a right and there is a wrong. And we want to live our lives in a right way. We talked about training our children. That uh, teaching what is right is an active thing, not passive. Um, we talked about nurturing a conscience, both in ourselves and in our children, not hardening hearts, so that our children develop sensitivity towards sin and a, a desire to have a right relationship with God and um, are willing to deal with sin in order to have that right relationship. That's really what we emphasized last week. So this week, we're going to talk about teaching what is good as in sound doctrine, teaching things that are true and that are always true and that we can, uh, on which we can base our lives. So um, the notes that I sent out last week, uh, if you will turn to Roman numeral 2, that is what we are continuing on with today. We sent the same notes again this week, um, and I don't have them up on the screen, I'm sorry, but um, they are available for you in your email. Okay, so the first issue in teaching sound doctrine is that we want to be teaching accurate Bible-based truth. And let's look at some scripture that talks about that. I will ask some of you, and you can just tell me if you are able to read. You can unmute yourself. If you are not able to, that's no problem. You can just tell me. Okay? I know that Lana can't because her phone is dying. So, And she's sitting in a, a public library. So uh, that's no problem. But I'll ask some others of you if you can, and then just let me know if you can or can't. That's no problem. I can even do all the reading if I need to. Um, so let me give you some verses. You can look them up. Just put your finger or something in them, and then we will um, go on from there. So let me ask first, Sharon, can you read? Can you read John 17, 17? Okay. Uh, how about Jodine? Can you read? Can you read for us today? Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, we'll look at John seventeen seventeen in just a minute. Let me give the other verses out. Okay. No, let's okay. not do it that way. Let's just go verse by verse. So, can you read John seventeen seventeen for us, please? Okay. Uh, John 17, verse 17. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Such a very simple verse. Very short, but it has so much truth in it. Because it teaches us that the Bible sanctifies us. It makes us holy. And what is in it is truth. It is pure truth from God. 
So the more that we are able to base um, what we talk about, uh, what we read, what we do, and especially what we teach on the Word of God, the more it is going to be focused on truth. Um, and one thing I noticed about this verse as I was looking at it today is in context, this is a part of Jesus' last prayer for his disciples after they had finished their last supper, after he had washed their feet, right before they went into the Garden of Gethsemane and he was arrested. This was his prayer for the men he had been ministering to and with for the last three years. Um, right before his arrest, this was some of his last words to them or for them because it's in the form of a prayer to God. So this is important information that he wanted to communicate uh, on behalf of them, but also uh, he wanted them to hear how important this is. So the word of God sanctifies us and it is God's truth. And God's prayer, I mean, Jesus's prayer was that God would sanctify his disciples in the truth of his word. So what we teach, what we believe needs to be based on the truth of the Bible, not tradition, uh, even good traditions in the church. There is uh, nothing wrong in tradition itself as long as we don't elevate it to the same uh, level as the Word of God. Um, stories. Stories that talk about uh, biblical truths or that illustrate biblical truths are good for clarification, but they do not hold the same weight as the Bible itself. So if you are reading a um, devotional book as part of your daily time with God, that is not wrong, but you need to make sure that you are not spending more time reading the story in the devotional book than you are spending in the Word of God itself. Because in terms of truth, um, our lives, our convictions are going to be based, we want them to be based on the Bible and not um, side stories that have to do with the Bible. Okay, so let's look at another verse, Psalm 19, verse 7. Let's see, Timmy, can you read that for us? Psalm 19, verse 7. We're going to look at 7 and 8 of Psalm 19. Psalms 19, verse what? Uh, 7. Okay. The law of the Lord is perfect. It gives new strength. The command of the Lord are trustworthy, giving wisdom to who lack it. Okay, and can you go on and read verse 8 too, Timmy? Please. Okay. Okay. The law of the Lord are right, and those who obey them are happy. The commands of the Lord are just and give understanding to the mind. Okay, good. Now this is describing characteristics of this pure word of God. The first thing is it's described as the law. It is described as God's truth and it's also 
what God tells us He wants us to do. Um, and this verse says that it's perfect. Another uh, word for that is blameless. There is absolutely nothing wrong with it. And it restores the soul. So if you are feeling a little dry in your walk with God or in uh, just circumstances of life, uh, time in the Word will restore your feeling of closeness to the Lord. Sometimes when we're discouraged or we're stressed, we just don't feel like we have time or energy to read what the Bible says. But what God wants to do is to use that in our lives to restore us. And the same goes with our children. If our children are upset about something, they may say, well, you know, we don't want to read in the Bible tonight. Do we have to do this every night? But that's what God uses in our lives to restore us spiritually. So that is a characteristic of the Word of God that is pure. Um, then it says, the testimony of the Lord is sure. Testimony is something that uh, tells about something that has happened. So the, the stories that are in the Bible, word for word, are true. They, they truly happened. They are not just um, fables or um, something that uh, happened in that day and age uh, that people talked about. It is something that truly did happen in real time. And we, uh, and we are seeking to read those and understand what God is trying to teach us through it. And it says it makes wise the t simple. So if we want to be wise, then we have to be in the Word of God. Okay, going down to verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right. Precepts is another word for truth. So the true things that are in the Word of God are right. They are correct. They are accurate. They are true. And they rejoice the heart. So when we are um, regularly reading in the Word of God, and we are seeking to understand the truths that are in it, and we are basing our decisions and the way we live our lives on this Word of God, then God will give us times of rejoicing, not just uh, an emotional good feeling, but a sense of well-being, that He is in control because He reveals Himself in His Word. And the more we see of who God is, the more confidence we have in Him, and the more our faith grows. Um, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So commandment is something God tells us to do. And those commandments are pure. They are completely right. When we obey them, God will use our obedience to draw us closer to Him and to make us more like Him, which is holy. Enlightening the eyes. God, um, through what He reveals to us in the Word, He will teach us true things about Himself so that we are, not, we are no longer believing things about Him that are not accurate. Um, sometimes we have to take those convictions about the character of God and examine them in the light of the Word to see if they are true. Like, do you ever have doubts that God cares about you? If you do, 
then you don't know what the Word of God says because the Word of God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Over and over again, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, which includes us. We, if we understand what the Word of God says, then we will not be doubting characteristics of God's nature. And we can communicate those things as true to our children. Mommy, why did, uh, why did this bad thing happen to me? If you know what the Word of God says, you can turn to a verse of Scripture and you can say, We do not understand why everything happens, but we know Romans 8.28. We know that even those bad things God will use ultimately for our good when we love Him. We can know that God is good. He is always good. And that uh, His goodness is never wavering it's it's never it's always unfailing so these are characteristics of the word of god and things that we um we need to understand and to base our lives on so that uh what we teach is bible based and is accurate okay let's look at some more scripture on this psalm 119 130 uh blessing can you read that for us Psalm 119, one nineteen one. Okay, that's fine. Ketty, how about you? Can you read Psalm, Psalm 119? Psalm 119, 130. Yes. <clears throat> the revelation of your words brings light and gives understanding to the inexperienced. Okay, I love that verse. Um, the revelation of the word or the... Um, um, in one translation, it says the unfolding of the word. And I just, uh, I love the word picture that that gives of as if you're unfolding, you know, maybe a tablecloth that started out in this little bitty folded up package. And then you unfold it and it gets bigger and bigger. And if it has a pattern on it, you can see the pattern, pattern clearer. And it becomes something that you can uh, use on your table. Um, just, I love the imagery of using that word unfolding. The unfolding of the word gives light. And um, we need light in order to see, don't we? If the room is completely dark, like Timmy, you are in, sitting in a dark room so that you can nurse your baby. And I understand completely. You want that baby to nurse and to go to sleep. But um, it's not a good situation for you to be able to uh, read because you are keeping the lights turned down low so that your baby will nurse and will relax and will fall asleep. But in terms of the Bible... When we unfold the Word of God, when we take it apart, when we look at it in depth, when we seek to understand what the individual words mean, and when we seek to apply it to our lives, it gives light, it gives understanding, it helps us to see how God wants us to live. I love Psalm 119 verse 105. It says, Your word is a lamp to my, to my feet and a light to my path. And the, again, the imagery of that, because 
When we are walking in a dark place, we need two kinds of light. We need a lamp to shine down. Oops, sorry, I'm getting hoarse. Just a second. We need a lamp to shine down on our feet so we see the next step to take, so that we don't step on something, so that we don't trip. We need to see step by step. But we also need a light to our path so that we can see on ahead and know the direction we are heading in and see, be able to see clearly on down in front of us. And the Word of God gives us both things when it gives us light. So we need the light for ourselves. We also need the light so that we can help our children understand what the Bible says uh, again, all about God's nature, how he wants us to live. It doesn't mean that we have to be able to answer every question they ask because some questions are unanswerable. And to be able to say, uh, I don't know the answer to that. And then you can either say, but I can, tr I can find out. Or you can say, uh, God doesn't show everything to us. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord. Let me turn my phone off. Um, uh, so when we unfold the Word of God, we can have light for understanding His nature ourselves, and we can also have light for explaining His ways to our children. Psalm 119, verse 133. Let's see. Salome, can you read for us, or do you need to stay muted? Psalm 119, verse 133. Yes, I can. Okay. And I hope I greeted you properly when you joined us, Salome. You are welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Psalm 119, verse 133. One verse, please. 133. Okay. Okay. It says, Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. Okay, good. Um, in one translation, it says, Establish my footsteps in your word. Um, he does use his word to direct us. And he also uses his word to establish our footsteps. Remember we were talking about stepping in the light a step at a time and his word being a light to us on down our path. When we are able to establish our footsteps in the word of God, then that makes a big difference in sin not being able to sneak in and um, establish dominion over us because we are... Uh, understanding the truths that are in the Word, we can compare uh, whatever our situation is or whatever the difficulty we're facing, and we can evaluate, now, is this what God says to do, or is this the way I'm supposed to react in this situation, or am I reacting in a wrong way? Have I done the wrong thing? And if that's the case, then that's sin. We need to confess it and then move on in fellowship with God. 
So establish my footsteps in your word um, and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. Um, and we'll talk some more about that in just a minute. Psalm 119, verse 165. Sharon, are you able to read for us? Not a problem. I know you, you are managing a lot of things at your end. So if you are not able to, that's not a problem. But if you can... Okay. Psalm, okay. Psalm 119, 165. Okay, ma. Hold on. Psalm 119, 165. Okay. Um, Psalm 119, 165. Those who love your law have perfect security, and there is nothing that can make them fall. So the Word of God gives us stability when we love it, when our attitude is, oh, let me learn from your Word, Lord, rather than, I need to spend this time with God so I can check it off my list. Those who love your law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. Um, the Word of God protects us. If we know what it says, if we are established in it, then we are much less likely to either be fooled by sin or by... Um, something that is said that is not accurate according to what scripture teaches um, because we have our focus on the truth of the word and we're not um, we're just not going to be led astray by false doctrine first john five thirteen says these things i have written to you who believe in the name of the son of god so that you may know that you have eternal life the Word of God is written to confirm to us what God has done in our lives so that you may know that you have eternal life. Um, if, we, if anyone struggles with eternal security, there is, God has given a solution to that. Check and see what Scripture says. Um, the verse is right before that, 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in the Son. He who has the Son has eternal life. He who has not the Son of God has not life. And in this verse, these things I have written to you so that you may know that you have eternal life and this life is in His Son. <clears throat> okay, so it's Scripture is very clear that if we have asked Jesus into our heart, He is there. If we have not asked Him into our heart, he is not there. So uh, God has given us the word of God so that we can develop convictions, so that we can know the truth. It's not, um, uh, the Bible is not something that is kept in secret from us. We don't need uh, anyone with special training to explain it to us. 
um, we benefit greatly from learning from pastors and teachers and people who have themselves studied the Bible and then are teaching us what they've learned. But God also wants us to immerse ourselves in Scripture and to learn from it what He has to teach us individually. So, one part of teaching what is good in terms of sound doctrine is to make sure that what we believe ourselves and what we are teaching is accurate Bible-based truth based on the Word of God. The second aspect of that is develop convictions. We need to be convinced of this truth because that's what the word conviction means. It means to be convinced. And there are results, unfortunately, of having no convictions. It's not... Um, um, I'm trying to think how I want to say this. Um, it's not something that is a good option for us because it does have consequences if we don't develop convictions for whatever reason. Um, and we'll look at some of those reasons. Uh, there are consequences, and let's look at what some of those consequences are. Um, let's see. Sarah, can you read? Are you able to read today, or do you need to stay muted? I can read. Great. Can you read Ephesians 4, 14, please? Ephesians 4 14. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed, tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Okay, that's good. That's a that's a, a very good. Thank you. Um, the first thing to notice about that verse, it says we are no longer to be children. Now, is it wrong for a child to be a child? No, not at all. Is it wrong for our children not to know what the Bible teaches? No, because they're children. But it is wrong if a child continues to be a child in their understanding of Scripture as they grow into adulthood. Because God desires us to be mature. If you look at the verse right before this, it says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So God wants us to mature in our faith, to not stay the same today that we will be tomorrow in terms of our faith. Um, and He desires for us to not remain as children because a characteristic of children is that they believe whatever they hear. If they hear something um, that sounds good to them, then the tendency is to believe that. They will be tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So every little thing that comes through 
they are like, oh yes, you know, I believe that. Um, and influenced by things that are shared that are just not true. For instance, uh, several years ago there was a photo that was circulating on the internet that someone had taken from a plane and they said that it was a, um, a view of the top of a mountain range with snow. And they said, well, um, don't you see this? Uh, this is a picture of the likeness of Jesus' face. The way the snow was on the top of the mountain, they said you could see Jesus' face in this picture. Well, someone in, in my husband's Bible study showed it to him. And he said, no, that's not Jesus' face. That's the face of Judah. And the guy said, oh, no, really? And John said, no, I don't know what Jesus, Judas looked like. And neither do we know what Jesus looked like. This is snow on the mountain that looks like a human face. But it's, there's nothing that says that it's the face of Jesus. So mm. it was a good lesson that we need to measure things we hear like that with against the Word of God to, in order to see if they're true so that we're not um, rendered unstable by being influenced to believe different things that are not scripturally based just because yeah. they're the latest thing whether it's in a book or an article in a magazine or something you hear on the radio um, we need to make sure that the truth we believe and the truth we are convinced of is accurate biblical truth. Because there are those who will, who will deliberately attempt to deceive people um, into believing what they say for their own good. But the primary thing is that God desires us to have stability in our beliefs, not to have our faith threatened by any new idea that comes along. Well, you have to do this in order to earn God's favor, or you have to do this, or you're not saved. We need to understand what the Bible says and be convinced of the truth of the Bible, and then we won't be shaken by things like that that we hear. Um, let's look at another verse, 2 Timothy 3, verses 6 and 7. Um, Ketty, can you read that, please? Sure. Second Timothy Second three, Timothy, verses six and Timothy seven. Three, verse six and seven. Yes. Or among them are those who worm their way into households and capture idle women burdened down with sins, led along by a variety of passions, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. So this is, if you look at the very first verse in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, it says, but realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. So this is talking about the last days. And then it's talking about people who are false teachers, who will deliberately lead people astray. And that's, so that's the context when you get to verse 6, where it says, among them, and them is referring to these false teachers, are those who enter into households and captivate weak women. Now, I think it's interesting. It's not that men can't be captivated too, because of course mm -hmm. they can. But in this particular instance, 
the Holy Spirit through Paul is talking specifically about women. And I think it's interesting that these are our false teachers who have actually come into these ladies' homes and then captivated them, as in uh, shared things that are so um, powerful or deceitful or enticing that they are actually captivated by what they hear. Uh, they, and they are weak. These are not strong in their faith women. These are women who are not sure enough of their faith so that they can be captivated by what these false teachers teach. Weak women weighed down with sins. So these are women who haven't been able to, as we talked in Psalm 119.133, establish my footsteps in your word and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. Well, these are ladies who have let iniquity have dominion over them in some area. And so because they are um, weighed down with different sins, and it says led on by various impulses, they are very um, susceptible to what these false teachers are saying. You know, maybe it's, um, well, it doesn't give any indication what specific things they are saying, but they are things that are not true. They are not biblically based. They are not accurate. But because these women are not established in their own convictions, the result is that they are um, captivated by things that are not true. And then it says in verse 7, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So they are it's not like they're unwilling to listen. They are, but they never actually come to a point of personal conviction where they understand what the Bible teaches about a different uh, specific topic, and they are established in their faith so that even when they hear something different, they can go, no, that's not true. That's not what the Bible says. Can we recognize what the Bible says on different areas? If we hear something and it doesn't quite ring true, do we go to Scripture and seek out what the Bible does say so that we can either accept or refute what it is we are hearing? We need to be able to do that, not just accept anything we hear as being from God. Okay, so in this situation, these women have been led astray. And that's not a good thing. And what we don't ourselves have strong convictions in, we cannot help our children develop strong convictions in. Things like the character of God, the um, uh, eternal nature of our salvation, um, Christ's return, the responsibility of the believer. What are our responsibilities as believer in terms of of uh, what God wants us to give our lives to. All of those things are convictions that we need to hold and then we need to impart to our children. Um, let me share one more verse. This is out of 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. And I don't know if this is in your notes or not, but it's in my notes, so I'm going to say it. Um, it says, for the time will come, again, this is talking about the last days, 
when they will not endure sound doctrine. That's the church. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. So they're talking about people who don't want to hear um, they don't want to hear things that are unpleasant or that might require them to do something hard. They want their ears to be tickled. They want to, um, they are listening to things that might be pleasant but are just not true. And they will accumulate for themselves teachers. So they're going to, um, they're only, only going to listen to the people who are telling them what they want to hear and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. So they are actually reaching a point where they are no longer tuned in to the truth of the Word of God, but are starting to believe in something that is false. Because a myth is a story that is not true. And the myths were written to explain things that people wanted an explanation of without without really knowing the true story. For instance, um, if, you, if you have studied Roman or Greek mythology, you learn that there are stories for how the sun got in the sky, for um, how man came into being, for um, uh, all the different ways that the gods interacted with man. You know, those are all myths. They are not true. They are things that man made up as an explanation for something he couldn't understand on his own. But we don't have to do that because we have the Bible. We have the Word of God. We have God's truth. We can study that. We can learn it. We can know it. And we can teach that to our children. So those are results of having no convictions. One more. Colossians 2 verse 8. Um, let's see. Who can I ask to read? Jodine, can you read again for us, please? Yeah, I can read. Okay, Colossians 2, verse 8. Colossians 2, verse 8. Mm-hmm. See, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. Okay, thank you. So again, there's the whole idea of being taken captive. Uh, someone who is taken captive, who is imprisoned against their will, it's not something they would necessarily, they would choose, but someone has come in and has grabbed them and is taking them to another place. Uh, and this is a, an admonition to us that no one takes us captive, either through philosophy, deception, according to the traditions of men, according to principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. One primary example of this would be uh, the whole idea of evolution. Evolution is a scientific theory. It has never been proven, 
but it is now taught in our schools as fact. But if, if you believe what the Bible says, then we know that, that God very clearly explains his work to create the earth. It was not something that happened by accident. It was not something that happened through a giant explosion. He very deliberately and specifically created the, wor the world, created the earth and all the different aspects of it. And he created man and woman very specifically. And if you read Psalm 139, it explains very specifically that he knows our unformed substance, that he is, we are intricately woven, and that he is involved in the formation of every person who is born before they are, um, before there was ultrasound, before there was any way of knowing what a baby looked like in the womb. God is at work and uh, giving those babies his full attention and making them exactly as he wants them to be made. I know those of you who are carrying a child right now can relate to that psalm in a very special way because you are experiencing that. Um, so that is those are results of those are results of having no convictions. It's not just, well, it's no big deal, someday I'll study that, or it's, it's not that important. But uh, without convictions, we are like children. We are tossed to and fro, and everything that comes along, we are uh, likely to believe it. We have no stability in our faith. Um, we can become captivated with someone who comes in and tells us something which is not true so that we are making decisions on the basis of falsehood always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth always switching sides always um, going off in in uh, one direction without really having the stability of knowing what the word of god says it teaches and we can actually be led astray in terms of our core beliefs because we don't, again, we don't understand and accept what the Word of God is and we are led astray by uh, tradition or by what the world teaches. Um, and, our, and the same thing can happen to our children. If you are grounded in your understanding of what the Bible teaches, you can help your your children navigate through any non-Christian beliefs that or non-biblical beliefs that they are taught in school. Um, that is very possible, but you can't help them if you don't understand it yourself. So, what are the results of having strong convictions? Hebrews eleven verse six. says, let me find it real quick. Hebrews 11 verse 6, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So faith in God and in his character that he is a rewarder, and believing that he is who he says he is, enables, enables us to please God please him it's even necessary 
Those things are necessary. Faith in God and in his character are necessary in order to please him. So if you want to please God, we have to have convictions concerning who he is and what he does. Colossians 2, 6, and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so live in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Firm, I think I left out being, I was quoting it, but I left out being firmly rooted and now built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were taught, um, overflowing with gratitude. So, it is possible to be rooted in our beliefs and to be established in our faith, but it's something that we have to deliberately seek to grow firm in our convictions based on the Word of God so that we will not be shaken by different winds of doctrine or by people who try to come and tell us something else. We will be able to recognize what is right and what is wrong and make decisions and live our lives in that light. And as we are able to take those steps, we can also guide our children in the same direction to give them a firm foundation so that as they grow up and go out on their own, they have convictions that are established and that will uh, be the basis of their own walks with God and their own life decisions. Um, so let me, let me leave you with two thoughts and then I have something for you to uh, work on or to do before we get together next week. The first thought is, are you able to evaluate what you hear and match it to what the Bible says? Do you know how to do that? Do you have a starting point? You know, one great starting point is to ask your husband. But we also should be able to... Um, recognize false teaching when we hear it and be able to search the scriptures and figure out what the Bible does say so that we're not led astray by what it doesn't say. Does the Bible come first or second when compared to experience? How about if someone says, well, I don't know what the Bible says, but I know what I've experienced. No, that's backwards. First, we know what the Bible says. Then we can compare our experience to the truth that is in Scripture. So if our, if our experience or someone else's experience doesn't match with what the Bible teaches, then they may have experienced that, but it's not what they say it is, and it's not what God wants for them. So the Bible comes first when compared with experience. So we need to ask ourselves those two questions. Can you evaluate what you hear and match it to what the Bible says? And does the Bible come first or second when compared to experience? Then let me give you two kind of practical things to do before next week. Uh, and this is related to our topic, but it all is also related to our overall topic of learning how to be godly wives and mothers. What is, and this, there are two things. The first one, what is something I can say that will encourage my husband? What is something I can say that will encourage my husband? 
find something. And then, number two, ask my husband how I can help him. Ask my husband how I can help him. What can I do for you today, sweetie? How can I help you with this? What can I do to help you? Ask your husband how you can help him. So do those two things. You will have a happy husband. And it will be, uh, it'll be interesting. Um, when you come next week, you can share with us some of the things you learned through doing this. So our, our time is up officially, but um, if somebody has questions, let's see, I'm looking here on the side here. If somebody has questions or a comment you want to make or something you have learned about this whole area of teaching what is good, please share them with us. We will benefit. And I will turn the recorder off. Let me pray first. Father, thank you for this time that we've had together to discuss the importance of teaching what is good, specifically in the area of having strong, accurate convictions that are based on the Word of God. I pray as we head back into our specific situations, that you, through your Holy Spirit, will con just continue to teach us what you want us to learn about this. Help us to focus on our relationship with you, to, um, to desire to know you better, to des desire to be a genuine helpmeet to our husbands, and to desire to teach what is good in our home and to our families. Thank you for this time together. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.